Hello, welcome to another episode of Use of Force. I'm Jesse Hyatt. And I'm Mike Varley. And this week we are doing a Use of Force episode to correspond with our walk around downtown Manhattan. Yeah, so there was an incident where the NYPD fatally shot a person on the Lower East Side in their home. And this occurred in February of 2019, February 8th to be precise, and the NYPD releases its use of force document each year, and the 2019 document is not released yet. So we usually start this discussion by reading the NYPD's statement on the use of force incident, but we don't have that to read from. The, so what we do have is a couple different news reports, and it still is basically coming from the NYPD and what they were reporting to the news. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of information coming from anyone else, but I'm going to just summarize what occurred. So on February 8th, 2019, in the morning around 7 a.m., NYPD officers responded to a 911 call from a person called Worth Williams, who said that his partner was attacking him and had locked him in the bathroom. And the cops told him to stay in the bathroom and that they would come and, and deal with the partner. And his partner, Joshua Williams, was in the apartment when the police arrived. He was hiding in a closet and Worth Williams, the person that made the 911 call, had said that he had a restraining order against Joshua, but because the NYPD didn't have proof of that, they did not handcuff Joshua. So when they arrived, they found Joshua hiding in the closet. He seemed willing to leave with the police, so they escorted him out. And according to the chief of department, Ter Terrence Monahan, as the cops were escorting Joshua out of the apartment, he in an instant grabbed a knife from the kitchen and started stabbing his partner, Worth. And as soon as that started happening, the two cops that were taking him out shot him and killed him. Mm-hmm. So I've read a couple articles on this. I also listened to a press conference with Terrence Monahan, who watched the body camera footage and explained how this happened. I heard a lot of reporters asking to explain the order of events, and it seems as though the only thing that they wanted to say was that it all happened in an instant. Mm -hmm. 
So that's the incident. The background on Joshua Williams is that he was going through a transition which was causing a lot of issues with his husband. And as I'm, as I'm saying this, I realize I should maybe not be using he. All of the reporting uses he. But we're talking about someone who's changing gender. So I'm going to start trying to refer to Joshua as they. So Joshua was also diagnosed as schizophrenic and was a crystal meth user. So between the hormone treatments, the crystal meth, and the schizophrenia, that could create a situation where Joshua would be violent, and that is why there was a restraining order, order of protection against them. Mm -hmm. But they were still cohabitating? So it's actually unclear, and that was one thing that I heard in the press conference a reporter ask. It was unclear whether or not the two people were actually living in that apartment together or if Joshua had just come over and this incident had occurred. Mm -hmm. And the Terrence Monaghan in the press conference didn't have an answer for that, and I haven't been able to find any information that may have come out since then. Right. So how would you classify different levels of domestic dispute in your opinion? And like, when do you think it would be appropriate to have the police intervene in a situation where we have a parallel force that's meant to deal with emotional distress slash domestic disputes where, you know, having uh, conversations and therapy interventions would be appropriate and when do you think it would be appropriate to have a police intervention which I guess would involve criminal implications and the need for weapons yeah so in my personal opinion, it does seem that the domestic dispute that was happening in this instance made sense for the 911 caller to call 911. He was locked in the bathroom and had this order of protection against his partner. So I do understand why he decided to call 911. I think the fact that there was an order of protection in place makes me feel as though, well, I guess I, I, I can't tell you what, what they had tried to work out ahead of time. You know, I think some kind of, therapy, as you speak of, is a great idea, and support for mental health is a great idea. It also is costly and not always 
the easiest thing to obtain and certainly not in the moment. So I don't think necessarily calling a therapist for help when your partner has locked you in the bathroom, sometimes that could help. And people that are trained for moments like that certainly would be better equipped than the NYPD. Right. Well, this is where we, we would just start thinking and talking about the idea of what defunding the police means in this situation, which could mean the creation of auxiliary services in order to handle this situation. Okay. It's unclear whether crystal meth was found in Joshua's system at this time. They just know that they were an addict? I don't remember if it was found in their system, but both the partner of Joshua and the family of Joshua did mention it. And there's a, there are a couple small quotes from the partner and the family in this news article. Mm -hmm. So between hormone therapy, between drug abuse, as well as cultural stigmas that may be associated with being a person of color that has gender dysphoria, like all of those things are high risk situations that could culminate in something like this. And something that we have seen in previous episodes and something that we're going to see countless more times is just the police are being asked to be the, the crudest form of cleanup for all of these accumulating issues. Yeah. But I don't think that even at this level, it, I think there still could be better interventions than this, but there would have needed to be stronger systems in place prior to this, you know? Right. Once it gets to a situation like this, it's hard to say what else can happen in our current society, but before, before you get to a situation where you're in a domestic dispute and have to call the police. There's plenty of things that people should be able to access to get help that we don't currently offer. I think the other thing that I'm struggling with here is that the reporting on this incident said that the police had specifically not handcuffed Joshua because they were acting in a compliant manner and because the police had no proof that there was, in fact, this order of protection. But I looked up orders of protection and on the Manhattan DA's website, it says that the NYPD can easily look that up. 
which makes sense. They can easily look up a license plate. They can easily, they have a whole database for most things. So I would think if a 911 caller is saying, this is happening, I have an order of protection against this person, on the way over, either the dispatcher or someone would look that up to see if it's accurate. And then that makes me unclear on why they wouldn't have handcuffed Joshua at that point. Right. It also kind of goes against the protocol that I believe is in place for dealing with someone that's having some sort of mental instability where you don't want to handcuff them because it could aggravate them even more. Right. So, yeah, clearly I don't have an answer for what the move should have been, but I do think that I'm confused as to why the officers didn't know upon entering whether or not there actually was an order of protection. That seems like they should have just known. Someone could have just searched in the database while they were heading over there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like potential negligence yeah. on their part. And then not really taking accountability for it potentially, certainly being a, a bit evasive. Right. Yeah, so the other thing that is never mentioned in the, any of the news reports is who those officers were. So we don't actually know who the two officers were that fired the five rounds at Joshua. In the press conference with Terrence Monahan, a reporter asked if he was going to release the body cam footage, which I guess wouldn't necessarily identify the officers, but it would show from their, their chest what was going on. And he said that no, the body cam footage would not be released because of 50A. And 50A is something that was repealed in July of this year. And I don't know if that retroactively requires things to be released like body cam footage. But what I do know is that since July now, we as citizens have access to allegations that have been filed against NYPD officers. And there's a website called ProPublica that you should be able to Google ProPublica the NYPD files, and then you can search by officer officer name or badge number or precinct, and you can also just search by type of complaint or allegation. Right. So that's something uh, a resource we'll be using moving forward. Yeah. I think it's it's good that we have access to that now, and that it's good that citizens have access to it. It's also good that reporters have access to it because in this particular incident, you know, I, I'm trying to find out who the officers were that were involved, trying to find out more information. And it's really, it seems like that one press conference that Monaghan gave is maybe the only thing that 
reporters used to write up articles and then it's unclear if any more information ever came out about it or you know the news right. cycle just moved on or what happened why there is only such little information yeah yeah so we've talked about some instances where only the police use of force report was the only thing this is one step better maybe two steps mm -hmm. where it seems to be based on the verbal account of police officers and well they did have some interviews with family that's true that's true but it was there was there were a couple quotes yeah. from family members yeah but i mean you have unanswered questions and i don't know i don't know with the news what their motivation is to follow up on something like this you know yeah well i i'm also wondering if they're you know one of the quotes from family was that there was negligence on the part of the police and that that could be a lawsuit so there's it's possible that maybe there's plans to sue over this or maybe there will be more information coming out it might not be finished yeah it's a lot of the follow-up we have on these stories are from the families suing mm -hmm. and not well i guess the next i don't know what the next tier is i mean intrepid reporting but really just a level of outrage that comes from a community sometimes, which usually is spawned by the immediate family kicking up some sort of outrage. Mm -hmm. In, yeah, I, I mean, it's hard because you feel like somebody should be following up on this, but I don't know, for due to lack of traditional news media not having the ability to handle all this to the population being overwhelming the problem being overwhelming the there are so many of these stories that i think it really just depends on the initial context and if the police are controlling the initial context a lot of times they probably have the potential to make it so that people aren't inclined to investigate. If they use the right wording, if they frame the situation in the right way, it becomes something where it's like, okay, yep, this was a person that had all sorts of chemical issues, mental issues. We don't, we, we're not gonna follow up on this anymore. Yeah, it is, I guess from, my perspective it's also just kind of overwhelming because there are a lot of different layers in this particular incident of of things that this person was struggling with that we really don't have solutions for or ways of helping each other with and so it's sort of like where do you begin mm -hmm. yeah i mean i i think preventive Preventive care is where it comes in. Giving access to mental health that's free or extremely affordable. Yeah. And then having changing the context of who's going to respond to these calls as a final 
thing where the person that shows up is inherently known to the community as somebody there that's not not there to punish you but to help resolve a crisis situation right and then a final note about just the use of force report itself this is obviously our first year of doing this and we've had access to all the other ones prior we don't really know when the report on the prior year has come out because the 2018 report was already available to us when we started right and i don't know even if the coronavirus is affecting that in some way or another yeah so even when 2019 comes out i don't know if that'll be in line with the typical timeline yeah so i don't know if i have anything else to say about this the I think maybe a a good way to end this is one of the quotes from a family member that was in the news article, and it says, he was the best son that any parent could have, said Lorna Rembert. That's how I would love him to be remembered. He had a good heart. As always, if you know anything about the Joshua Williams case or are interested in learning more or discussing more, please contact us. We'd be happy to discuss it further. And thank you for your time. And until next time, take care. Bye.